Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 564 on Tuesday, the 6th of February, 2024. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And this week, we'll be explaining to everyone how the term SUV is not the same as the phrase all cars. In new new car news, we play spot the difference and struggle. And in points of interest, we look at how the letter H has changed over the years. First, we go into two bits of follow-up. Let's get the angry thing out of the way. Uh, last week, back end of last week, the Parisians voted... Okay, I'm... No, a very, very small percentage of the small percentage of... <laughs> <laughs> the vote results in Paris were published in which 54.6% who voted voted in favour of increasing parking charges for internal combustion engine and electric vehicles that were over a certain weight and do not have a Parisian parking permit to be increased. However, that was 54.6% of 5.7% of those eligible. Now, we pointed out when we talked about the e-scooter vote, Mm. how it was an astonishingly low number of people who actually could be bothered and have changed daily life for everyone, this is the same. So, well, this is different, actually. It is the same, but different. You are both right and wrong. <laughs> so I'm not a client of yours. You don't have to be nice. <laughs> I did. <laughs> for the fun of it, I did a Myers-Briggs personality thingy test, which are whatever they are. Or you're a tree or something. Massive bucket of salt. Yes, I'm a, I'm a green triangle moderator. <laughs> Inside joke. It is the same, but it is different as well. The reason is that the e-scooter vote actually could have had an impact on actual Parisians every day. Mm -hmm. The big difference here is that this has no impact on actual Parisians. Just to be completely clear, this is street parking charges for vehicles, as you say, don't have residence parking and not owned by people in Paris. It's only street parking charges. It's for vehicles registered from outside of Paris, so it's visitors to the city, mm-hmm. and it doesn't apply to off-street parking. It doesn't apply to multi-story car parks, underground car parks, anywhere else. It's only if you're going to park on the street at a meter that this is applicable. Again, the more you talk through it, the fewer and fewer people are actually affected. Who voted. Yes, who voted. Even then, the fewer and fewer vehicles are actually affected. Because it's vehicles over 1.6 tonnes, if they're internal combustion engine or hybrid, if they're a pure EV, then it's over two tonnes. Which puts a mockery at the whole, it's safety. It's it's nothing to do with safety. Because two tonnes is two tonnes if you bring in physics, no matter whether it's an electric vehicle or an internal combustion engine. It will still hit with the same force as it would otherwise. So it's performative in a lot of ways. No, it's, it's performative full stop. Yes. What is very interesting is that, that in this Guardian article, and I've linked to a Guardian article to give a great example of the dreadfully awful reporting on this and the misleading headlines. I'm going to disagree with you again. I actually thought that once you got past the headline, actually the Guardian article wasn't bad at all but- because it does go through and explain the weight 
things and stuff. But the very start, I mean, you've got to read past the first three paragraphs. Yes, that's the problem, is the headline and the initial tone. And let's not forget that The Guardian came out with an op-ed very recently where they said they are campaigning against SUVs. Yeah. Hence the bent in their thing. But they weren't the only ones that did it. Automotive News Europe did that, and they should know better. The BBC did it. I don't expect anything different from them. All these companies and producers of alleged facts, and they couldn't get that right. The auto car was the first one that actually just talked about the weight, and that was refreshing to see. Yes, this has been an annoying one, because I've felt that us amateurs have had to go around correcting the mistruths put around by supposed professionals. Yeah. And that has really, really annoyed me on this particular story. Obviously, by the way, big SUVs, in cities with tiny streets, not ideal at all. No. Really, we should be trying to reduce the scale of any private vehicles that need to be used in urban situations, etc., etc., etc. We are not disputing any of that whatsoever. But this Paris thing, performative politics. Right, do you want to take us back to Britain and um, to Pendragon? Yes, something a bit more boring and less, <laughs> less stressing on the blood pressure. <laughs> American dealer group Lithia completed its uh, takeover of Pendragon and all its de- dealerships. Finally. Finally, <laughs> exactly. At the end of January, this has been going on for quite some time. This adds 137 UK dealerships, plus almost a dozen car store, car supermarkets, to the just over 50 uh, Jardin Motors franchises that they already hold slash held. That makes them second biggest motor retailer in the UK behind Seitner, but ahead of Arnold Clark. Yep. One thing of note in here, by the way, is that the board, there was that bidding war that we talked about before, which ended up with encounter offers from Hedon and Penske, meant ultimately Lithia had to pay 42% more for Pendragon. Uh, that's another £117 million pounds, uh, than their initial offer was. Yeah, well done to the board of directors, people doing the negotiating. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that on behalf, I guess, of the shareholders, it's good that they didn't sort of roll over and just get engulfed. Yeah, it's a great effort. But I hope that all works out very, very well. Okay, it's the beginning of the month. It is. SMMT new car registration numbers. Good news, everyone. Britain has registered its millionth EV Yay. Uh, during January. Overall new car market up 8.2% according to the equivalent month last year. January, of course, being a very quiet month, doesn't take a huge number more of registrations to show an increase. Private retail demand well down, to me, is is the headline. It is down 15.8% on last year, meaning that private registrations, he says, not using the S word, (laughs) private registrations are only worth 35.2% of the market compared to 45 last year. Fleet, of course, there's a rise. It has to go somewhere. Fleet up 29.9%, now worth 63.2% of the market. Uh, And business again, down as well. Kind of curious about this. I wonder if this is more people moving to leasing rather than buying outright, hence the fleet numbers being up. I have no numbers to back that up, by the way. Yeah, it, it, there's no stats, but anecdotally, there is a huge push in adverts in the UK mm. to get the uh, business in kind. Is, is I said it right again. Benefit in kind. Benefit in kind. I'm back to my old ways. You get that every week. <laughs> uh, to the benefit in kind, 
which people are in the current cost of living crisis, it is a slightly more affordable way to do it. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah. It, it, it reduces the, the, the down payment and all these kind of things. Mm-hmm. As you all know, I'm sure. Total numbers for the month, it was 142,876 vehicles registered in total. Looking over at Broker News, uh, moving away from the SMMT zone article, Moving over to broken news for the fuels you put in your car stats. Thank you, Tristan. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, uh, hundred thousand uh, six hundred and forty-nine of those were petrol. Just under twenty-one thousand were battery electric vehicles. That's coming at fourteen point six five percent of the market share. Diesel just under ten thousand, and plug-in hybrids just around the twelve thousand mark. They increased. Yes, yes, by quite a lot, to be honest. Up thirty-one percent on. The same month last year, mm. with an 8.36% market share of plug-in hybrids. Yeah. Interestingly, uh, we will link, obviously, to the broken news as well as the SNT article. There is interesting snippets in this article with regards to uh, how January went and how it ended up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not confirmed because it's people who didn't wish to be named. But it does also mention, which I haven't seen anywhere else, about the Red Sea crisis and how that could potentially impact months down the line because of delays. Start of the stack of dominoes once again. It puts us back to the same problem as there was when the Suez Canal got blocked. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be as bad. I think people are already starting to change their supply chains to build in allowance for these kind of things. Because VW had already done that. Yeah, I think many brands are doing that, making sure they've got that secondary Mm -hmm. source. Uh, for stuff just after the last few years. I think that just proved such a significant risk that it was well worth mitigating and trying to mitigate. Yeah, but if your car is made in China itself, that's trickier. Yes. I don't know how much that impacts the UK, more likely to be Europe than the UK because of the left-hand drivedness. I would say so, but they can still go around the Cape of Good yeah. Hope, but it does add, yeah, add a few weeks. Yeah. Do you want to run through the top tens? Yes, I will do. Funnily enough, January and the year to date are look very, very similar. The uh, not a big spread between them at the top is four thousand two hundred thirty-nine units. At the bottom of the ten is two thousand three hundred seventy-three units. So many subcategories and submodels that the numbers are are very small per actual model. Number ten, Hyundai Tucson, two thousand three hundred seventy-three. Number nine, the Nissan Duke, eight, the Volkswagen Golf, seven, the A3. Six is the Mini, 3,079. Five's the One Series. Four's the MGHS, 3,413. Three is the Nissan Qashqai. Two is the Ford Puma. And number one is the Kia Sportage. Mostly C-segment, given there's not a lot of B-segment around anymore. Mm-hmm. And practically no A-segment. Notice that just the sort of scale there just sort of struck me for a second as I went through. Spreadsheet of doom. Yes, I shall do the dooms. It's not too doomy. I'll start at the top, and the first manufacturer to be mentioned or brand to be mentioned is Bentley, down thirty-three percent. DS is down fifty-eight percent. Fiat down thirty-eight percent. Genesis down forty-nine percent. Maserati is down forty-four percent, forty-three percent. Sorry, Mazda is down twenty-three percent. Polestar is down 74%, Porsche is down 34%, Seat down 16%. 2023, they registered 3,240. In 2024, 2,731. 
But as VW seem to be just winding them up, I'm not surprised, really. Not really. And I don't mean winding them up in a jokey way either, unfortunately. Toyota, which is probably one of the biggest drops for any of the brands, uh, is down 29%. That was 8,606 in 23 to 6,111 January. Lots of greens this month. So uh, let's start the MG Award for Ridiculous Percentages. <laughs> we get that out of the way early. Uh, a bath up 536%. Not a huge number of vehicles. I think that's the new 500 uh, a bath 500 yeah, e think so. essentially coming on stream. Alpine up 58, BMW up 38, Cooper up 21, GWM Aura up 330%. That's, that's normally a good score on the old MGometer. Mm. Jaguar up 29, gosh. Jeep up 53, Land Rover up 46, Mini up 37. Nissan 52, Peugeot 63, Renault 26, Smart 332.35, Subaru up 95%. Woo! Is that new boss month? <laughs> Both them and Smart, you mean? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's new, but well, this will be yeah. uh, registering uh, Crosstrex. Yes, of course. Tesla, sorry, I interrupted. I'm that. sure it's an increase in sales as well, but tesla up 173 percent because it was a particular they really really hammered it for the end of the uh the quarter last year Vauxhall up 59 percent uh, other british yeah uh other, it's, it's so unusual reading some of these brands going up by the way instead of down mm. yes <laughs> like jaguar and Vauxhall, and it, it kind of throws you a little bit whenever you see who it is uh, other British up 12.17, and other imports up 73% to 167 vehicles. Yep. Uh, but that's about it, really, I think. Apart from SMMT calling for government to help uh, energise the private EV market, they talk about the, well, it has been talked about when they've posted the information of possibly subsidies or incentives for private buyers. Other people have talked about helping out with home charging costs and others have talked about also doing something to help lower income people get access to cars and others have finally talked about helping secondhand cars being made more affordable so there's many suggestions none of which are going anywhere right no. at the minute anyway uh, speaking of not going anywhere right at the minute Yes. Renault's IPO. Renault were planning to put Ampere, their electric vehicle division, on the stock market. And now they have decided to shelve that uh, due to the fact, this is what they're saying, that the uh, markets are a bit flat at the minute. You know, we won't probably get the greatest money because no one's getting the greatest money that they should because the markets are a bit flat. But they're also generating more cash than they were expecting. So it's okay, really. They didn't need the IPO. They can do this self-funding. It's not a problem. After all, the strategic plan Renolution is self-funded. And, and of course, people will be able to see the results very soon. Yes, and how much of the self-funding was the plan to IPO one of the things? <laughs> and that therefore generated money. <laughs> I think that that was aside from it, in all fairness. We are sticking tongues firmly in cheeks at some of the language here because it is very corporate, as you would imagine, anything to do with the stock market. Uh, for something so silly, people treat it so seriously. But this does have implications, though. And the questions were raised. Does that mean that Nissan and Mitsubishi are not happy to invest in Ampere because they were supposed to? 
And Renault said, no, they're fine with that. Their investment was not based on a stock market uh, listing. But then it got turned onto the one of the other partners that was supposed to be involved, which is Qualcomm. And Renault have confirmed, well, no, their involvement really was dependent, but we're still open to them working with us in some way. Hmm. <laughs> I think this links into other stories we've got here, though, Alan. Well, it does a bit. The one other thing they did was they absolutely refuted that there was going to be any tie-up with Stellantis and Peugeot and Citroën. Oh, so we look forward to talking about that in follow-up next week, how they've merged. So, yeah, <laughs> next, week's, next week's merger announcement, that would just cause, no, I, I just don't see that happening, right. to be perfectly I honest. Either. Uh, despite the fact that, obviously, all the vehicles are starting to look very much the same. Moving on to the next story, which might sound almost similar, which is that Volkswagen's battery unit called PowerCo said that its IPO is going to stall because of a cooling EV market. It's also starting, it being Volkswagen, has also started to face doubts that it can make its own batteries at scale. A little bit late to be realizing that, given that they've decided on the locations for three battery sites and have actually started work on those with output ready to start in Germany next year, in Spain in 2026. The third site in Canada has already been started, and the location of the fourth is still up in the air and looks like it's going to continue to be up in the air for a little while to come. Mm, I think there should be alarm bells going off. Well, I think generally within VW there have been alarm bells going on for a while. But yes, the, I think the hesitancy and the the hesitancy uh, and and the lack of decisive decision making should be quite worrying. I mean, there haven't really been any changes at the top of PowerCo for a little bit. It's not like Carryad, where the whoever's in charge of the software division is rotating on a three or four monthly basis. It feels like they're a sacrificial lamb, aren't they? <laughs> you are basically yes, yes. I think this talks of a louder problem for both VW, but also I think in, if you just take VW Group, it's a microcosm of the whole industry, particularly if you look at that previous article we were discussing, and then the next one we're going to discuss after this. With this apparent cooling of the EV market, which is happening apparently in Europe, we can see it in the UK. The US is apparently doing the same, although I'm not quite so sure because if you look at figures, it doesn't really look like that. But it really just means Tesla. Yeah. And then you have large companies making statements like Hertz, where we won't, we're selling all our Teslas and we won't get any new ones. Yes, they announced that they won't be buying new Polestars for quite a while now. They're putting a pause on that, but they're not selling mm. the ones they've got. There's obviously issues that people are finding out for some reason, on top of all the nonsense that gets put in the press of how anti-EVs. Yeah, I, I don't think that's the case. I think the challenge is that lots of people, the only people who were able to supply EVs for quite a long time there was, oh gee, I thought we weren't going to talk about them this week, was Tesla. Mm. And then of course Tesla keeps changing the prices, so the residuals have all sorts of challenges i mean you saw those big announcements the sap oh but if if you listen to some that's fine that's absolutely perfectly fine well, by those people ignoring the reality of someone has to pay that difference somewhere <laughs> if you're managing fleets of vehicles you want stability mm -hmm. you don't care about farting indicators you care about the stability of the prices and because that's what you've agreed you need to know what it's worth at the end of three or four years when you come to sell that vehicle 
And when you're not getting that, then that's a problem. Mm. I think that there are things that have happened over the past couple of years, which have had a big impact on the used prices of Teslas, which people are then saying, well, they're all EVs, aren't they? And that that is a a knock-on effect. Add to that the amount of disinformation between people warbling on about batteries needing to be changed after four years and having a complete lack of I mean, if that was even if that was true, a complete lack of understanding that actually those batteries still have quite a lot of intrinsic value in them mm. uh, and all that kind of thing, uh, you know, aside from the headline figures. And I think that those are a number of challenges from both within and from outside the industry, which are hitting bean counters and their spreadsheets, who are they going, no, 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 we don't need to do this yet. Let's let's wait. Mm. and i think that that in turn is again causing a problem yeah as much from perception as anything else i completely understand why hertz is getting rid of its teslas doesn't know what they're going to be worth doesn't know how much it's going to pay for them when one breaks how long is it going to take for it to get repaired all these kinds of things these are issues well yeah the servicing costs are higher than they were anticipating as well yeah absolutely and these are all these hit the big fleets and then they filter down from there and i'm not trying i'm not actually trying to diss tesla believe it or not it's just that they're the one that this is no i think you can to a certain degree because of what their beloved leader has done has has exposed them and exposed the ev market part of it was just there's so much hype around their share price oh yeah it's ridiculous and then now that's dropping this has a knock-on effect on the other companies who are trying to do it properly and do it right and needs to do it to meet the various regulations coming through. And how do they do it? I actually really feel for them. This is my my point here, is there is an immovable object, which is the legislated date for when new internal combustion engine vehicles can no longer be sold. That's hitting Europe, it's hitting the UK, that's going to hit the US. Mm -hmm. The car companies have to transfer to an electric vehicle or zero emission vehicle future they need the cash to do that. Now, we can argue the toss that they should have seen this coming because this was talked about in the 2000s. Oh, yeah. Which, yes, that's true. But let's talk about the reality now. And the reality now is they are not selling at the volumes they want to. Partly that's their fault for how they've priced them. Partly that is because of the nature that they've so many have come to this late. Mm-hmm. So therefore, they are having to pay a higher price for stuff that goes in these cars. And plus, they are trying to complicate things by add so many extra things into a car, not realizing they need to, first of all, get the EV-ness sorted, then worry about yeah. the, the flashing stalks and doors that flap and all that nonsense that others have done. And part of the challenge right now is that everyone's trying to build these battery factories all around the world. There are only a limited number of companies that can build the kit to go into the battery factories, and stuff can't be magicked out of thin air. They need the right materials they need, the time it takes to build stuff, ship it, install it. Obviously, if there's lots of demand, they can put their prices up mm. because they need to, because they're under demand. And then that has a knock-on effect to the manufacturers and that has a knock-on effect to those of us who buy the cars. And it's it, because everybody's left it to the last, essentially in infrastructure terms, the last minute, yeah. everybody's running around going, oh, and the costs are spiraling. And, and then there's this, this, other thing from left field, which is the cost of living crisis, which is hitting the globe, some places harder than others. Hello, Britain. Aren't we lucky? Uh, which, bonus. which uh, well, no, I think there's more um, 
I think it is more than that. The, I'm just the idiocy of the previous prime minister wiping off 35 billion from our economy. <laughs> but yeah. but the problem is that people are not putting their hands in their pockets because they're going, do I want a roof over my head? Do I want the weekly food shop? Or should I get a shiny new thing on my drive? Mm, well, we can maybe hang on another year, six months, 18 months, two years. Yeah, and have electricity in the meantime. Yeah, yeah. so these are the choices that are being made. But people aren't discussing that and they need to be upfront and honest about it I thought 2024 would be tough, and it started out really tough, I think. I, uh, I hope, I really hope I'm wrong, and I hope things go upwards. I hope that there is, uh, there is the cash to come in, the companies are making good strides, that people are buying these cars, but I'm really worried that there won't be. Right, so it is feeling a little bit like Groundhog Year again. Yeah. Right, super quick, Volvo to stop funding Polestar. I think that we've talked our way through this story and the whys and the wherefores to a certain extent. Yeah, Volvo and Geely had a joint venture where they were basically founded Polestar in 2017. Uh, Volvo owns uh, 48, point, or Volvo cars that is, sorry to be very exact. Yes, not group. 48.3% of Polestar, the rest, uh, or a large chunk of the rest is by Geely. They have announced in their 2023 financial results that they will no longer be funding Polestar and that their, and I'm quoting here from an autocar article linked in the show notes, our focus is on developing Volvo cars and concentrating on our resources on our own ambitious journey. Okay. I don't know really what this means because if you read the article, there's a sort of, it could do this, it could mean that, it could mean the other. Um, but Polestar are talking about cutting 450 jobs, which is about 15% of their workforce. They're trying to get to a cash flow break-even point by 2025. I don't understand what most of that means. I I think a lot of this is is really financial playing. Um, it's like spreadsheets are spread. I think a lot play. of this is spreadsheet related, <laughs> um, and will have very little because I don't. I mean, they're built in the same. The vehicles are currently built in the same lines in the same factories. Well, they they also say they're going to work together on R and D on commercial side of things and manufacturings. I don't understand what difference it's going to make to the product. Mm, no, unless there was a, a row in the Volvo overall spreadsheet that said, "Give Polestar." X millions per year, and they've just decided to stop that one because they want they need the cash themselves. It may be. It was interesting, by the way. I was at the uh, Northeast International Motor Show, which was a room in the the exhibition center in Providence in Rhode Island on Sunday, and the local Volvo dealer of Volvo North America was one of the few stands there. But I noticed that they had sure they had a couple of hybrids, but they didn't have any of the interesting electric stuff. Oh, right. uh, on show there it was it was just here's an xc90 here's an s80 <laughs> it was a little bit like that it was, it was quite quite weird mm. should we move away from doom and gloom of the car industry and do oh, something please congratulate someone on a new appointment i want some good news yes please bloody hell i'm bored of being motoring doom podcast <laughs> Jason Allbutt is the new head of Smart UK. Uh, he's the, the new chief executive officer, reporting up to Smart European chief Dirk Edelman. He's been at Mercedes-Benz since 1995. He was previously in charge of the head of product and planning at Mercedes-Benz UK. He's taken over now that we've got the new Mercedes-Benz Geely joint company. 
and it's about to launch a smart hash three after the hash one hash three being an electric coupe suv which is meant to compete with the volkswagen id5 and be priced from about thirty-three thousand pounds all but takes the reins, by the way, from a chap called David Brown. I really, really want him to go to Aston Martin. Um, I'm, I'm sorry. It's <laughs> just for completeness. Just for full circle. Yeah. yeah. Well, to be fair to David Brown, he brought Smart back into the UK, didn't he? He was he he led that. It was brought back from basically a sort of twitching corpse at one point, yeah. where all you had was an electric or two, which is not in itself a bad vehicle. No, but when that's all you've got on offer for a year and a bit it's certainly so much you can do yep awesome good luck to mr albert yes right i'm going to take us into europe and some surprise news actually the european commission has launched some surprise checks on tire manufacturers across several countries of europe in connection with investigating the potential for market collusion to do with price fixing and potentially cartel activity. And I don't know if I can use potentially or alleged any more than I have done already, but that is what we are being very uh, heavy about. It's, it's worth mentioning such investigations neither imply guilt nor prejudge the ultimate outcome of the investigation, says the AM online article. And we are saying the same. <laughs> yes. They have gone to visit offices of Nokian tires. Do we get Nokian in this country? Don't think so. Uh, you do, yes, one. yes, you do. You uh, do. Pirelli, uh, Continental, and Michelin. Mm-hmm. Link in the show notes if you wish to learn more. Limited number of manufacturers, large market. <laughs> Something that people need to buy. Yeah, you'll be saying insurance next. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. Uh, well, uh, yeah. Hmm. Anyway. That brings us to Guilt Minute, the quick break in the show, where we ask for a tad of financial support to get the lights on the hosting running. If you feel that the motoring podcast is worth a small consideration every month, then you become a patron. Different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. Uh, we also have a small range of merchandise in our spring store, from stickers to mugs and t-shirts. If you don't have any spare cash, and we do completely understand that you can help us by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released or by liking and rating show, whichever way your podcast supplier lets you. You can also subscribe on YouTube is another big one. We need to hit that 500 subscribers, everyone. That's that's all I'm asking. That's all I'm saying. He never mentioned the bell. He just talked about subscribing. I didn't. Well, yes. I mean, you can always get the hit the bell and then you'll get the new latest version of the audio version of the Motoring Podcast uh, as soon, well, not quite as soon as it's released, but pretty dashed soon afterwards. Yeah, it's pretty quick, actually. Once YouTube has done its processing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, obviously, if you've done all that, and some of you do, so thank you very much. Then the last thing you can do is to recommend us to your friends or colleagues. Thank you, everybody that does. Don't forget to like and subscribe. <laughs> okay, new, new car news before we get any cheesier. <laughs> that is the trouble with anything to do with YouTube. There's just so many things that you can say. Ford Mustang. Ford Mustang is about to become the cheapest V8 on sale in the UK. It's not a big field it's entering there, is it? <laughs> high bar, high bar. How about, yeah, seventh generation of a Mustang uh, will hit the UK with a meaner look and offered only with V8 power. Because frankly, if you're the kind of person who's going to buy a Mustang in the UK, you're not going to go out and buy it with a 2.3 litre EcoBoost. Yes, locally to me, I've got two. Essentially Mazda engine. Got two of those locally, but also there's another three that I see regularly that are not those, which are nice to listen to. Yes, prices start from 55,685 pounds 
uh, for the Mustang GT. It'll be offered in both coupe and convertible body styles. Uh, there'll also be a dark horse edition for sale, which is £10,000 more expensive. It's intended mainly for track use or leaving cars and coffee events. <laughs> no, remember everybody, don't be an idiot. <laughs> yes, don't be that guy. Uh, Mark 7 is essentially built, or is essentially a very heavy facelift of the Mark 6. Lots of stuff's the same. As a result, you get bigger screen, you get screens inside, which can mimic old school dials and all sorts of fun stuff. That kind of stuff that, to be honest, it's a wonder nobody's really offered that in vehicles before, like mm. BMW doesn't offer the really nice mimicry of an E34 or E30 dial set. Uh, instead, rely on lots and lots of hexagons. That's it, really. I mean, if you want a Mustang, you're going to buy a Mustang yeah. anyway. I think they're good looking. Oh, they are. They're, they're definitely good looking. See a few on the road around, but a few on the road around here. They are cheaper here, even after, well, before any dealer add-ons, even after stuff. It, it, it is, but it's only six or seven thousand pounds cheaper. It's not the wild numbers that people were throwing around to begin with because of delivery fees and. You know, the headline figure does not include delivery, registration, tax. There's a Y in the all day the other tax. Stuff that I, there's a diet <laughs> Y in the day tax, you know, the super special coating that they want to put on it for you, all that sort of stuff, some of which is obligatory, isn't included in that. So the, the difference in price isn't quite as high as people are saying uh, initially, but there is still a, accounted for by having to ship it across an ocean and pay import duty on it. Mm, yeah, And a higher rate of v and VAT is, is included and stuff in that. At 20% is included as opposed to six and a quarter percent sales tax here, mm. which is added on afterwards. The difference in price is actually not that big. Yep. Sorry, that's another one. I'll get off my horse now. <laughs> okay, I'm going to bring us back to Europe and I'll talk about the BMW 4 Series is getting a refresh, a midlife refresh. Uh, it's going to get new tech and everything gets the CSL's rear lights, apparently. Have you heard anyone sound less enthralled by a facelifted car than, than you've just heard Andrew be just there? I don't know. Last week was pretty high up there. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll get you there. I, I, I am, to be honest, I am really struggling with a lot of cars for about a year going. It's a bit tricky to be excited about that or, or interested in them. The 4 Series, by the way, is the sort of ultimate European opposite to the Mustang. Yeah. Uh, it is actually, it is a very nice car. Uh, you remember we did uh, a special edition on that a couple of years ago now, just uh, not long after the original version came out. And it's a really nice thing to drive. Obviously, the first thing everybody focuses on are these uh, rabid beaver grill on the front there. And that's a shame because the rest of the car is actually a very nice thing to, to drive and to be in. Wiggly headlights or not, tail lights or not. They're saying that prices are going to start at £43,020. I love it when they get that exact. In these, <laughs> they didn't never round it up or down but they, to that. For the 420i M Sport Coupe, and then it's going to go up to oh, £65,500 for the convertible in the M440i X Drive Coupe. <laughs> Oh, I, we better not test that because that I think you'll 
you'll actually throw the title of the special edition at me if I try to write that out. <laughs> well, I would pronounce it as a 440, so I would I would shorten it by the way I'd say it. But yeah, it, it's, yes, yes, that's one of those times when I would be editing the notes just before so you don't get a chance to see. Uh, they're, they're also doing the M4 as well. Yes. If you like the snarly thing. thing. They, they all have snarly front. But if that's too practical for you... Alan. Perhaps you want something different. <laughs> the Z4 has also been given changes so tiny you would have real trouble spotting them if you parked the facelift beside the non-facelift. The biggest change is the ability the availability of a hand shelter pack, which is literally um, according to car means hand switch spec. And that means that you get a manual gearbox. It does not mean a return to the nineteen eighties and cranky windows, keep fit windows, and everything else like that. All it means is that you get a, a manual gearbox. Not a huge surprise that that's possible, given it's already available in the Supra. Mm. Package also includes new light alloy wheels, 19 inch at the front, 20 inch at the back, blah, blah, blah. Otherwise looks the same. Given some tiny redesigns, you'll be able to get an S-Drive 2.0i, uh, which is a 200 brake horsepower 2-litre, That'll do you 6.6 to 62. And the M40i comes with a 335 horsepower straight six, uh, meaning 0 to 62 of 4.5 seconds, eight-speed auto as standard. Yeah, rear-wheel drive, blah, 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 blah. There's a very uh, confusing line in here. It says, to complete the car's sporty flavor, a new frozen deep green metallic paint job, which is really nice has been thrown in that's exclusive to this model in the Z4 family and evokes pure British racing heritage. On a BMW? Pure British racing heritage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nicely caught, yes. Um, yes, I've, I've got a... Because I, because I bought a manual, I can have, I have green paint. Uh, for starters, that's ridiculous. And secondly, to evoke pure British racing heritage. For a long time, by the way, the, the nice metallic green. I mean, I know that the one of my dad's E30... 38, I think I've got the right one, 7 Series. The nice, the last good-looking 7 Series. Uh, it was Oxford Green, was the oh. name of the metallic. So I don't know if it's vaguely related to that. Anyway, next up in... Spot the difference. <laughs> cars get very tiny revisions. The Audi Q7, Andrew. The Audi Q7 has been apparently, allegedly, according to press releases from Audi, updated. There is now a what has been described as customizable face. <laughs> Unfortunately, you can't customize it pretty. No. We have a go at BMW for their really ugly grills, but I think there's a competition amongst the German manufacturers to who can make the ugliest. Yes. We should be the most aggressive looking. Yeah, there's even a... And, and, then, and, then, we accuse, and then we accuse Volkswagen of being bland. Sorry. Yes. We understand. There are, as it says in this car article... For near imperceptibly different customizable signatures for the front and rear daytime running lights. And that's yeah. about it, apart from the infotainment can now install third party apps. It is literally the DRLs. If you look at the top of the headlights, they're the only yeah. things that change. Yeah, but yeah, so it is a DRL. So it's LED headlamps, there's loads of little bits, and you can decide which bits you want turned on and turned off in sort of four different combinations of, of who cares, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Wow. No. Uh, let's move on. I can't be yes. bothered telling people what the prices are on that. No. Check the link in the show notes. 
<laughs> yeah. Link to the Karma car article, which will tell you all of these things in a significantly more enthusiastic fashion. But with dollops of sarcasm as well, which I do applaud. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I guess I do appreciate that. Last one here, Automotive News Europe. Uh, Volvo EX30 deliveries are being slowed by a software issue. Uh, it's their second launch in the on the trot, which has had this after the EX90 had similar. A limited number of customers, according to Volvo, have had to wait a few extra days for their cars to be delivered whilst we address some minor details. With these now solved, we look forward to rapidly scaling up EX30 deliveries. It's the old one, folks. Uh, software is hard, and it can't all be delivered over the air. Nor should it. Nor should it, exactly. Right. Point of interest. Yay! Lots of interesting stuff this week. I will start with the lunchtime read. Now, this is an apology from ourselves, because we did say we would put an article about the UK Hot Wheels 2023 Legends Tour winner, the MG Burt East, and we didn't. So apologies for that. I'm a bit late to the follow-up here. However, this article is a cracker, and you should see the photographs and the details mm-hmm. that uh, have happened, uh, that, that have taken place on this build. It is The more you look, the more stunning it is. Uh, even if it's not your thing, what, what was achieved, I think, is absolutely superb. Yes, the, 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 rear, the rear lights. Oh, very special. Particularly, it just it, of these pictures are really stand out to me uh, as being, wow, yep. just attention to detail and general nuttiness. And execution. Yes. To make that happen. Oh, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm. Really cool. Really yep. cool. To have a look. It's not a very long lunchtime read. Uh, you might even, but uh, yeah, so read a bit and then spend the rest of the time gawping at the pictures, I think. <laughs> yes. Really cool. I really like that. That's It's so, it's just different and original and for me, I mean, I, I used to have this real problem with MG, MGBs that they were sort of, oh, I think we discussed this years ago, but beardy, beardy mm. old men cars in, in the garage and flat cap and whatever else. And then I drove one and I kind of got it. Specifically, I drove the GT, the, the black GT. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, okay, I see where this has come from. And so since then, I've had a sort of new respect mm. for them. Absolutely. That was an eye-opener list of the week then andrew what are the best first cars for enthusiasts and why is it the mark one toyota yaris t-sport well it's the mark one toyota uh, yaris t-sport because i happen to know a gentleman that if anybody i knew had this we could ask questions of in how to keep it going look after it the best what are the best places to search for parts how do you kit it out in a way that is insurance friendly mm-hmm. as well which is important for first cars <laughs> yeah i don't know anything anything about that yes this is the, this week's list is from autocar and it is what are the best first cars for enthusiasts it's a good little list I mean, you can't the only one i would okay we can't there's not enough for us to mention these but there is one in here no we can't there is one in here that I really seriously question if that would be a first car. Don't buy a Mark III MX-5 as your first car. There we go. That's me done it. I've owned them. I've owned... Several. Three out of ten on this list. Yeah, three out of ten on this. Um, one of them being the Mark MX-5 and just just no. Any of the others. I would happily have had any of the other, any of those. With the exception of 
of oh, which I'm not allowed to say now, am I? No, you're not. Which, which I, I can't say, but I the reason is not that I don't like the car, it's that I can't drive it because my size 10 feet too big. Okay, you're going to have to tell me which one that is after I'm trying to work that out. You've obviously not driven one, you'd be saying the no, same thing. No, I, uh, no, I've not. Uh, okay. Is it one from the continent? Yes. Okay. I think I know which one it might be then. That's a good good list. Yes, do have a run through. See if you uh, agree. Uh, and if you don't, you better make a really good argument as to why not. <laughs> I'm joking. Of course. I'm not. <laughs> I am. I can quite happily sit here and compare com- compare the, the ones I've owned. Um, then, as I say, Mark VMX5 is a good car, just not a first car. Mm-hmm. Andrew, and finally. And finally, this is from Haggerty and Anthony Ingram where he has actually pulled together all the Honda logos from the beginning of them producing cars. And it's a, well, it could almost have been a lunchtime read, but it's a cracker. There's a, there's a quick video at the start that actually cycles through them all. So that's quite hypnotic, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but he goes on to discuss each of them and their iterations and what years they were used for and all the rest of it. We could actually, because you weren't allowed to mention, Alan, I think we can use this as a second list of the week. Out of all those, is there one of these that evokes more Hondaness for you as far as you're concerned than any of the others? Evokes more Hondaness. I've never considered Hondaness. Probably the 81 to 2001. That was my choice as well. Not that there's a massive difference between it and the subsequent 2000 to the present, by the way. No. The weird thing, over here, Honda dealers, the background to the writing, it's white on pale blue. It's not red. No idea why, but the Honda branding, when you see it, in actual fact, you can see it in that Civic CRX advert that's just above the 2000 to present logo. You'll see oh, that yeah. the word Honda is on a blue background. Over here, Honda dealerships, the branding is pale blue. Whereas, I don't know about the rest of you, but I always consider Honda as white on red. Is it because Acura is red? Uh, no, I couldn't even tell you what color it is. I think it's more silvery gray color. I think it's because Toyota's red. Oh, okay. That was the only conclusion I could come to was to differentiate between Honda and Toyota more easily in the early days of, of Japanese cars hitting the US shores. But no, uh, the Honda dealership that way is blue and then the Toyota dealership right beside it is white on red. Oh, okay. So, Interesting. <laughs> so I know all the, the other pictures here are all, is, it's just the, the black, the black outline. But yeah, that's... Sorry, that was my observation to, to, to go along with this story. But good stuff. Really interesting, actually, because even though it's it's quite a simple logo, the, the sort of evolution, the story behind it is really, is, is really good. So mm. thanks to Anne Ingram for that one. Yep. Uh, anything else? Parish notes, even. Mm-hmm. Uh, next week, we're going to be a day early. Yes. I have been given day release, so I am leaving the house. I know this is a very rare event. You've all been warned. Mm-hmm. Do be careful. Stay off the roads. Anyone south of Manchester, watch out. Mm-hmm. It's going to be out Tuesday. We're recording Monday. So, what what, what are you doing next Tuesday? Then are you going to t- are you allowed to tell us? Uh, maybe going to test drive the finalist for the UK Car of the Year award. There we go. I can't tell you which cars are there. I am under embargo. Dum dum dum. Along with everyone else, it seems yes. for everything else. I miss going to car shows. So that's pretty much us for us this week. Fingers crossed for some brighter, happier news next week, because goodness me, that first half was a bit of a dredge. I'm, I'm really sorry, everyone, but we yeah. can't help what's in the news. Yeah, don't report badly. Don't put rubbish headlines and find some good news. That's our instructions to the motoring yes, world motoring this press week. this year. <laughs> you hear us, Autocar, and all the rest of you. 
Anyway, between now and next week, uh, you can give us any feedback, share thoughts for the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Remember, you support us financially via Patreon, and please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts, a like, a comment, and a subscription on YouTube, or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you? The best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter or Mastodon. If you search for Track Windscreen, you should find me there. And Alan, if people would like to know more about owning a Yaris, what's the best way for them to discuss that with you personally? Boy, I could be of, very of boring many, on this subject. Of yes. many generations. Uh, yeah. It's uh, <laughs> best to use Twitter or Blue Sky, where I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. As we said, we'll be back uh, even sooner than normal. Uh, but until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.